0: Today I'm thinking, uh, you know, uh, as I'm counting, you know, the the difficulties uh, in my life. Uh, I'm thinking of this question: Am I too old? You ever asked yourself that question? Are you too old? Are you too old to continue doing what you're doing? Are you too old? Are you too old? Particularly, are you too old to serve God? Am I too old to serve God? That question came to my mind as I uh, thought about all the difficulties that I've been kind of getting through. But I did manage to close out some things this week that I'm glad to have behind me. The sale of my mom's house is finished. Hallelujah. And as you can imagine, there were all these last-minute things that came up that I had to do that I didn't know I was going to have to do. And I finished teaching my college course this week, except for I now have to write a final exam to administer on Wednesday. Uh, so I'm uh, looking forward to having a little more free time when I'm finished with that. Are you and I too old to serve God? Have you ever heard about this woman, a Crooks? Holda Crooks was born in 1896, and she died in 1997. Do the math. Born in 1896 and died in 1997. She was an American mountaineer. She was known as Grandma Whitney because she successfully scaled the 14,505 Mount Whitney 23 times, all between the ages of 65 and 91. How are you guys doing keeping up with her? She had climbed 97 other peaks during this period, 97. In 1990, an act of Congress renamed one of the peaks in the Whitney area crook's peak in her honor she was born in canada one of 18 children of a farming couple she left the farm before she turned 18 years old and guess where she went pacific union college oh i know that school we uh, adventists operate a university there right pacific union college Uh, Later, she attended Loma Linda University, and there she met and married Dr. Crooks. She took up climbing in 1950 after the death of her husband, and he had encouraged her to start doing something after she had suffered another bout of pneumonia. Uh, So on July 24, 1987, at the age of 91, she became the oldest woman to complete the ascent of Mount Fuji in Japan. She hiked the entire 212-mile John Muir Trail in the High Sierras. She completed the hike in segments over five years. She was a longtime resident of Loma Linda, California. She was a Seventh-day Adventist. She often spent time with children in the community, and she encouraged them. Look, you need to appreciate nature, and you need to stay active all the years of your life. They even dedicated a park to hold the crooks in La Linda. Her motto, early to bed and early to rise. Get up early, go jogging at 530 in the morning, walk back briskly do some upper trunk exercises, work in the yard, walk to the store and work. She's describing her life at the age of 80. She died in 1997. She was 101 years old. Have you heard of this woman? I've met her, Mavis lingering. At the age of 62, she was leading a pretty average sedentary life, spending most of her time reading, writing, and knitting. She would suffered four bouts of pneumonia in five years. And as a retired nurse, she knew that she did not want to continue on that pathway. Because as good as antibiotics are, they don't get usually at all the underlying causes. So she figured she needed to change. And she was encouraged to do that when she heard a lecture by a guy named Charles Thomas, whom I've also had a chance to speak with. He even made some items for me once. Um, And uh, so uh, he suggested, why don't you get up early and start walking? And so she did. And while she enjoyed walking, she decided, I like running better. She tried jogging, but that seemed kind of boring to her. So she took up running. And after she started running, she said, I never got sick. Ever again. I didn't even have a cold. She was five foot two inches tall and 102 pounds after she had taken up running, but when she began, she was 20 pounds heavier and a whole lot weaker. In fact, uh, it took her some time to get over her sed- rather sedentary, uh, sedentary excuse me lifestyle. She just didn't do enough for quite enough years. And so it took her a while to kind of build up her endurance. But she lost the 20 pounds, and she began to be quite strong. She ran her way back to health. Gradually, her endurance uh, allowed her to do so much more, and by the age of 70, she became a marathoner. Any of you near 70? How are you doing? She broke world records and blazed new pathways in the marathon for each age stage and for the 10K race as well, which would be about six miles. She trained an average of 50 miles a week. She underwent a series of tests performed at Loma Linda uh, University's Human Performance Lab uh, to determine how how has my body, her body, how has my body benefited from all that exercise that I'm getting? And so they checked her out, and they said that she had the heart and lung efficiency of a 22-year-old woman. Her body composition, her fat composition, 12%. Now, a college-age gal has about 25% body fat, and the average middle-aged woman about 32%. Here she is. At 80, at 12%. Whoa. She retired from running at the age of 90. In the year of 1997, she ran her last marathon. In fact, Nike custom made a pair of shoes for her. Are you and I too old to serve God? Are we too old to serve God? A Christmas story today focuses on two people who were said to be very old. And so we begin reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. When Herod was the king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah, and he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. And then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. And soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. And if we skip ahead just a little bit, when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. And when the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed, There's no one in all your family by that name. And so they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. And he motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. And awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. All of this, we're told, happened during the reign of King Herod the Great. His kingdom extended, as you can see from this map, the yellowed area, his kingdom extended from the area of Idumea all the way up towards Syria. He wasn't a particularly nice guy. Herod de Great, he may have accomplished a few things politically, but he, uh, he had his issues. But when we look at this particular story, we soon realize some interesting things we don't usually think about when it comes to Jesus' mother, Mary, and that was that she also must have had some connection to this priestly line, because she is related to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is of the line of the high priest years, years, years ago named Aaron. So this means that Mary, too, was of that particular family line in some way. Whether it was through her mother or through her father, we can only speculate. Some people believe that, uh, in fact, many people believe that uh, Elizabeth's mother was Mary's mother's sister, and this is how the two were related. But we often forget that Mary had this interesting relationship in Israel. She was of the high priestly line of Aaron, and of course, the, the man that she married, he was of what line? The line of Judah, which would be where the kings ran through in, uh, in uh, the Bible. And so they had this interesting heritage. My mom was talking a little bit about her heritage today, right? If you go to the area of Westport or if you pick up books about Westport, you will read about our family, our family history. We are some of the early settlers of the area of Westport. But one of the things that strikes me as I read this story is that how well-matched Zechariah and Elizabeth are in, in, in and throughout the story. Both were born in the priestly line, and uh, both were righteous in God's eyes. They did the things that God said do. And then, of course, both were also very old. Now, you may think, well, what difference does that make? But yeah, here's the thing. When you have no shared family history... Sometimes it's difficult to communicate with each other, and sometimes your family doesn't get along with uh, your spouse's family all that well. And maybe sometimes they'll carve a path, a way to be able to get along well. Maybe not so much, because they don't have hardly anything in common. And then, of course, if you are from two different faiths, or one has faith and the other does not have faith in your relationship, you are going to struggle in life, and so will your children, Is that right? Yeah. And so here you see they're very well matched. Not only are they well matched in some of those areas, but they're well matched in the area of age. I'm always amazed when I see somebody who's 70 marry somebody who's 30. I'm not saying it's impossible for them to have a great uh, marriage. I'm saying it isn't very likely. There's two different, two different but these two people were very well matched to each other there were 24 priestly groups who would uh, do service in the temple of god on a rotating basis in fact there might have been as many as 18,000 priests who would work at any given time in the temple complex it was one of you know the wonders of the world and so you know it took a lot of people to keep it running Um, and all 18,000 of these people might have had to work all at one time. If you're talking about big, you know, worship days for for Israel, you know, the days of atonement, the days of Sakath, the the building of booths and all this kind of stuff, all these kind of things, they would bring in a lot of people to the area, and maybe all 18,000 of them had to work at various times of the year. But Ruth but excuse me but Luke is very vague about when and for how long uh, Zechariah is working he doesn't say what days of the week he doesn't say how long he served God but he does say this he didn't just come there and hang around he served God he served in the very presence of God Now I think most of us who haven't grown up in the same kind of mentality, maybe, as the Jews have, we don't think about being in the presence of God very often, do we? Do you realize that you're in the presence of God as you go through your daily life, that you're in the presence of God? Now, it might seem rather odd to us, I mean, considering how special this event is, this this Opportunity for Zechariah to go serve the Lord in the temple and to burn the incense that was, would have been in the holy place, uh, that seems a very special event. And it may have been only once in his life that he was able to do that. So a very special event. Doesn't it seem just a little bit odd that the way in which they would determine who got to do that is they would roll the dice? What would you think if, uh, if I and the elders were, were out in a room here just before the service today, and we were throwing dice to decide who who had platform duties? Or how about the deacons or deaconesses? Do you you find that kind of interesting, rolling the dice? Why would they do that? Because they wanted to be fair. You see, this was a pretty important kind of thing to do, to go into the presence of God and, and offer this incense. And what if, What if you as the high priest had your favorite? Now, my mom talked about grandparents. Those of you who are grandparents, don't don't raise your hand. Do you have a favorite, grandkid? Do you have a favorite? Someone you like more, perhaps, than others? And, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to admit to that, but uh, maybe you do. And it's possible that a high priest would have a favorite, and he would keep putting his favorites in to do the most important jobs, and the others would get the grunt work. And to prevent that from happening, they would roll the dice, and it would all be random. One day, I was taking part in a uh, constituency gathering up in... Upper Columbia Academy. Any of you ever been to one of those? Constituency gathering? Participated as a delegate? I was doing that, and we were talking about the possibility of shaping a committee, and we said, you know, now that we've picked some names, let's go through and look, and and are we reflecting different age groups and different genders? And as we were beginning to do that, somebody got up, and with some irritation in their voice, talked about how we were just being politically correct by doing that. And that ought ought not to be what we were looking for. To which I then got up and responded, did you know the Bible has a great deal to say about prejudice and bias, that there are many biased people in the Bible, and there are stories of their bias. And the Bible has ways of dealing with bias. It talks about God as someone who is impartial. Here is one of those instances where we see that God's people paid attention And did their best to erase personal bias. They threw the dice. And it was random. Since they were all serving God in some way. They showed their aversion to personal bias. And they threw the dice. Do you want to be fair? When you serve God? When you go to work each day, do you want to be fair? And while uh, each of us, throughout the remainder of this year, uh, and I hope throughout next year, are going to, I I think, get more and more increasing opportunities to to serve God in, in various ways, it would also be very nice if a large crowd, not a wimpy crowd, if a large crowd of people were also serving God by praying. Wouldn't that be nice? That while people are doing this or that, others are praying. A great crowd of people are praying. It would mean so much more, not only to people who are doing this or that, but it would mean so much more to the success of what was being attempted. If you and I would not only pray for our own needs, but would also pray for the needs of others, it would be good. Not only do we have the privilege, of course, of serving God, uh, the privilege, the awesome opportunity of doing that in his house, but we also have, we're told, the privilege of having angels serve as our companions. Because that's what this angel was doing. In fact, the book Zechariah, chapter 3, verse 7 says this, I will let you walk among these others standing here. And as we look at the context, we see that those who are standing around the Ancient of Days, the Lord, are the angels. In fact, the verse itself starts out, the Lord of hosts says, I will let you walk among all these here. Meaning, you and I can have the companionship of angels right here, right now, as we go about our regular daily life. Is that something you want? The companionship of angels. I read a mind-blowing statement that was actually written down by someone. It's been endorsed by the White Estate. You can actually get a signed copy from them if you ask. That. Ellen White's at a meal, and she's talking about uh, all the peoples in the other worlds that God has made. And she talks about what they're going to do when this world wraps up and we travel from here to heaven. That they are going to line the way that they have been preparing food. And when we come, we will be their guests. It's a powerful statement. Powerful statement by her. I never read it before. I don't know that it's published in normal accounts. Powerful thing. Did you know that you can have the companionship of angels today? And do you want that in your life? Well, just like Joshua the high priest in Zechariah 3, and just like Zechariah, angels can accompany us to work. Would you like that? When your work especially is, you know, harried, you're, you're moving too quickly. I had a day not long ago where I literally had to run to keep up with it. And I mean literally, physically, had to run to keep up with it through the day. When things are very trying, would you like to have the company of angels to help you sort things out? And to maybe uh, pat you on the back and say, you know, calm down, calm down, you can do this. They will visit our homes, they will go to uh, work with us, uh, and they will give us the strength and grace of God. We're not alone, we're never alone people of God, even those people who are considered righteous by God himself, are still far from being sinless. Uh, I find some encouragement in that, perverse as it might sound. Uh, For all their God-given qualities, even the best people of the Bible are amazingly short-sighted and still have their doubts about God. They are not near what God would like them to be, And uh, I admit, again, perversely, that I take some comfort from that. We don't get better, we don't get more righteous, just because we get older. I I knew somebody once who kind of believed in that, and, and a pastor that I had at the time challenged him on it. He says, so instead of believing in righteousness by faith, you believe in righteousness by senility. I think he got the pastor's point. I mean, Luke tells us, right, that these people were very old. Very old, and still Zachariah doubted God. After serving God, even serving God in his temple, and now serving God in his very presence, doubting. Sin troubles all of us, even at the best of times. Fortunately for us, God understands and is constantly willing to work with us. But age does not make us better, kinder, sweeter, more winsome people. We have choices to make as to whether or not we want to follow God and serve Him. We have a responsibility in that service to take care of ourselves physically, mentally, spiritually. And I think we forget that. I think we, as we age, and as you heard the stories of these two ladies, One of the things that was true for both of them, as they got into their their older years, they realized, I'm not keeping active enough. I'm not keeping myself in good health. And I should be doing more. And so they began to do more. Amazingly, uh, doing more turned out to be such a wonderful thing for them, and they ended up living a long, long life and a wonderful life at that. If we take care of our physical, mental, and spiritual health, then we can be more of what God wants us to be, the person God wants us to be. And when the time came uh, for Zachariah and, uh, and Elizabeth's son, John, to be born, we're told that everybody around rejoiced with them. Scripture tells us, right, that we should rejoice when other people rejoice, That we should not rejoice, as Scripture tells us, when other people have some problem. And sometimes that's not easy. If if we don't feel like we're getting along well with that person, we kind of say, yeah, well-deserved for you. But Scripture tells us we shouldn't adopt that kind of attitude. That we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It doesn't matter whether someone else's mistakes enrich us in some way, and that's possible in our weird world, we should still weep with them if they end up on the short end of the deal. We must rejoice when other people experience God's goodness. And lastly, when God is in something, right? When God is doing something powerful, it always leads people to wonder, What's the outcome going to be? I mean, this looks amazing. What's the outcome going to be? And sometimes when we begin to serve God in some way, we aren't even sure. What's the outcome going to be? Today, for example, we have an opportunity to pass out door hangers. Now, that's a pretty simple thing. We're hoping to generate some Bible study interest from doing that. Simple thing. What's the outcome going to be? Well, we don't know, frankly. We don't know. But when they said that in this story, they had an idea God was in this thing. And we believe the outcome will be better than we might have expected or hoped for. You and I are never too old to serve God. We're never too young to serve God. The stories that happen when little kids also participate in various ways in church and Sabbath school, when they participate in community services, when they participate in personal ministries, they're always amazing when kids go out and collect food, for example, from the community to give it. You think the community doesn't pay attention to that and say, hey, you know, I I like my kids to, to do those kinds of things. We used to take Pathfinder groups out when I was in Ohio, collect food for a local uh, food bank. Uh, We didn't operate one ourselves, and so we'd collect it for the public. And uh, we found that uh, when we said, well, you know, we've got a group of young people doing this, and we're going to give it to the local food bank, it's not ours. Man, a lot of people would just jump right on board. We'd go to the local grocery store, and we'd say to them, can we get sacks from you, free sacks, with your name on it? We'll let you be part of what we're doing. You can, it'll even be like an advertisement for you. It'll be like Safeway and this group of Pathfinders is doing this together. And they were like, yeah, you can have sacks. We'll give you as many as you'd like. And so we'd go out, and we'd do this. The things that we are involved in they always get bigger if we just start small and keep working at it. If we stay faithful to God and we work with the strength that we do have, whether we're young or whether we're old, if we work with the strength we do have, God will bless us. That's what we believe. And you know what? What God wants to do might be something much bigger and grander than you might imagine. God might actually use hanging door hangers as another way To prepare people for the soon coming of Jesus. Just like God used the little life of John the Baptist to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. Does that make sense? Doesn't matter what it is. It's small. It's a small start. Are you willing to serve God? Are you willing also to pray? As we think of the outcome of some of our efforts, as we think of the outcome of Door hangers and final empire and so are you willing to pray? Speaking of which, let's do that. Father, God. This is a powerful story of two old people. And yet you used them in a surprising way, and in a very powerful way. And God, we'd like you to use us as well. We may be young, we may be old. We may be in between. But we know that if we commit our strength, our energy, our time, our resources to you, you will bless. And the end result will be amazing. Because you're in it. So Father, today would you take us, whether we're young or old, or in between, and use us. Help us to serve you and serve those around us in this community helping each one learn about Jesus' soon return.